Welcome to Prairie Doc Radio. We're so happy to have you listening today. I'm Joan Hogan. Rick Holm is here with me. The reason he's here with me is because he is the Prairie Doc. He is specialty is internal medicine. He's worked with the Avira Medical Group Brookings and has served as a clinical professor at the University of South Dakota's Sanford School of Medicine. Good morning, Dr. Good morning, Holm. Joan Hogan. Good to see you today. Uh, it's good to be seen. So I And it's good to see you. Thank you. So the topic uh, uh, for tomorrow night is that of... Um, Ask anything about diabetes. Yes. That's I like it. that topic. And we're going to have an internist and a family physician from Peer, Phil Meyer and Ken Bartholomew, uh, to be on our guest, uh, our, our, be our guests. And both of them are from Peer? Both of them are from Peer. Now, okay. Ken was originally from Falkton. And it's interesting, uh, I mean, he practiced in Falkton for a number of years, but I mean, it was all alone, and that it, it finally drove him to, to join a group where he could actually have a life and a wife and a family and all that. It's hard to be alone in practice, my yeah, goodness. I right. think back years ago when those doctors were the only ones in the town, and they had to take care of everything. Oftentimes, they were taking care of the animals because yeah. there wasn't a vet in town. <laughs> so those those uh, doctors were doing it all. I, I don't know how many years Bob Bell was on call 24-7, just all alone. That's just amazing, isn't it? Um, I um, But the uh, interesting story about Ken Bartholomew is because he worked, uh, he met uh, Dr. Weed of the Weed uh, uh, Electronic Medical Records System. And it was the weed system that was brought to Harvard, was brought to Emory. Uh, I was raised on the weed system. And he was at a conference with Dr. Lawrence Weed and went up to him afterwards and talked about living in a little town in Falkton, South Dakota, <coughs> and, uh, and said, you know, we're about to try to develop a system in our, our, um, our little town, but we have, we have nothing there, and I'm in, in complete control, and... Lawrence Weed looked at him with his eyes wide open and said, there's no way I can ever seem to be able to get into a system to make it happen. Could you do it in your town? And he said, yes. So the two of them... They developed the system. Uh, developed the electronic wow. medical record, the first electronic medical record in Falkton, South Dakota by Ken Bartholomew, who is going to be my guest tomorrow night. And he was asked... Uh, Lawrence Weed, who was 92 or 3, uh, was asked to be the guest at Johns Hopkins to talk about the weed system and the electronic medical record. And, and Lawrence Weed said, you know, I'm sick. I'm, I'm at the end of my life. Ask this one man who I worked with for many years, who is really cutting edge of electronic medical record in the United States and the world. His name is Ken Bartholomew, and he lives in Pierre. And so... Uh, Ken has got to give a talk to Johns Hopkins, and he's just flipping out. He said, "I can't, I can't be on your show. I've got to be ready for this thing, even though I'm as ready as I can be. I just, I can't, I can't go do it." And I said, "Practice on the way over and let Phil drive." And he, so okay, I'll do it. <laughs> you so do pressure tomorrow people. night. It's going to be the Phil and Ken show. Okay. And two primary care doctors talking about diabetes. Talking about diabetes. But the amazing thing is one thing that your friend Ken Bartholomew must do before he gets to Johns Hopkins and yes. is 
be sure to let them know he does not live in Pierre, South Dakota. It's not Pierre. It is not Pierre. <laughs> you talk to anyone who isn't from South Dakota. Here's hmm. Mr. Dr. Bartholomew from Pierre. Wrong. Yeah. Pierre, South so, Dakota. So the other interesting thing about Ken is, you know, he's just this creative guy. He's written a number of novels. He has. He hasn't been. A, he hasn't. He's not self-published, and he hasn't been able to get someone to read it. You know the. He just keeps writing them, though. That they're murder mystery kind of things. And um, he's given me copies on the computer, but I'm not really good at taking my computer and reading. To read a whole thing. No, right I mean, I, if I, uh, so, but they're, they're good. And, uh, and I, I've, I've got numbers of people who have read them and, and loved them. So he's a creative guy. Very creative man. Well, that'll be your program tomorrow night. For those who don't know, that's South Dakota Public Radio, 7 o'clock Thursday night. Be Public sure TV. Did I say radio, yeah. TV? Well, it's sort of like homespun medicine. Yeah. You know, yeah, public television. To see and hear Dr. Rick Holm, Dr. Bartholomew, and Philip Myers all talking about diabetes, diabetes on the air. And uh, that will be tomorrow night. Right. Get ready for your questions because we're going right. to take all the questions we can get. And, it, it and if you have any fun. questions about diabetes or any other medical condition, why don't you give us a call now, 692-1430, and we will address those right after these words. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. We're happy to have you listening. Bob was giving us this story about a local doctor that did house calls, and he knew he was going to be called. Nine months later, if Jack Parr was boring. Yeah. <laughs> he'd watch Jack Parr every night, and if Jack Parr was boring, he would go ahead on his calendar and circle the and date. Nine months later, and he'd be delivering babies. And if you home. know who Jack Parr is, you are at least 65 years of age or 70, you know, something in that age bracket at the lower end. So Jack Parr was the Johnny Carson uh, of the day, he was, was was it Jack Parr and then Johnny Carson oh, directly? Yes. That was the next step, or was there somebody in between? Uh, the the one who started before Jack Parr, I can see oh, him. I can't see see him too. He was uh, married to Meadows. Um, yeah, yeah, Jane Meadows. Jane Meadows. No, no, no. no. Jane Meadows was, um, and tall, slender, nice, uh, big glasses guy. Well, whatever. Someone's going to call in with Steve Allen. Steve That's Allen it. started it. Could yep. not think of his name. He was the first. Yeah. Night show. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? We are old. There's no question about it. Hey, Steve why don't Allen we was get wonderful, to? Though. I mean, he was he had the f- the greatest sense of humor. And then what was the other show that Steve Allen was on? Uh, it was a it was the it was a it was a group of people led by the guy who wrote. It was a humorous show. A no. humorous show. Well, his evening show was humorous. Oh, I can't think what and, it was. Uh, it said Caesar was on it, and you know, remember those old things? Sid um, Caesar with. Gary Moore? Are you yeah, thinking about yeah, Gary Moore? Gary well, Moore. no, that's a different show. That was a, boy, oh, I watched goodness. a lot of Gary Moore. We are we are living in the past, <laughs> folks. Come on, let's get to the present. Well, we we already, need your questions, really. Well, we did get a call in already. So Good. we do want more, 692-1430, as I just stepped on your line. I oh, apologize. That's all right. But we have Ow. a question about high blood pressure. This Ooh. person must have just read this recently, that high blood pressure might cause dementia. If your high blood pressure is not controlled... Can it lead to dementia? But also, if you've had high blood pressure in the past, but you're on medicines now to keep it under control, was that a predictor that you will get dementia? This is going to scare the daylights. Uh, it might as be a Halloween question. Right. Anyone who's had high blood pressure is right. a predictor of dementia? I hope your no. answer is no. No, and the answer is no. Thank you very much. Yeah. So what is, 
What is uh, high blood pressure uh, related to dementia? And the answer is it sets you up for stroke. Ah. Okay, so uh, basically the pressures uh, can blow out little vessels in the brain. And a big study was done where they looked at people who, a large cohort of people who, were, who had high blood pressure, half of which um, uh, were, were um, uh, whose blood pressure was controlled, and the other half, despite what the, the encouragement of the investigators, uh, would either not go to their doctor's visit or not go to the doctor or whatever, but the blood pressure was not controlled. So a comparison of controlled versus non-controlled. And the answer over a 10-year period of time, 10 years later, and these were people 40 years of age uh, in, or thereabouts, not very older, uh, just uh, middle age, uh, that there was clear-cut loss of cognitive or mental capacity or mental function in the group whose blood pressure was not controlled. And so the take-home on, on that to me was that, it, that it's important to control the blood pressure to preserve your brain. The, um, the, the larger strokes also go with the high blood pressure. In fact, that's the initial data that came out when they were trying to prove that controlling blood pressure made a difference. They found that people whose blood pressures were greater than, you know, and the numbers. the number? And, of course, they, they knew that it was greater than 200 was big strokes. Was it 190? Yep, more strokes. 180, not as many, but more strokes. You know, 150, and then, and they, you know, and the, when I was teaching, the question uh, in the editorial of the New England Journal of Medicine is, how low is uh, important? How low should we go to control the blood pressure in order to prevent strokes? And uh, they really never did. You get to a certain level, and the numbers are so high. I mean, you have to go so many people being controlled that you 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 don't have the lot a lot of difference. But um, uh, now we know that if you go too low, the people die sooner from falls and fractured hips. Uh, so you want to keep it in the right and particularly range. particularly older people, uh, you don't want a pressure a lot less than 150. So, uh, and, it's, and we used to say it's the bottom number that you had to control. And we learned uh, over time, and it was in the 80s, we realized it's the top number that matters most. Uh, so there's a lot about blood pressure, um, and uh, but the numbers uh, when you're talking about 150, um, the, 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 or 150 to 170, you got to go a lot. You got to treat a lot of people before a person is benefited. But we think that over time, dementia, little tiny strokes, little tiny lacunar um, uh, multi-infarct uh, dementia is what happens. And so, so uh, it's important to have your blood pressure tested. And I think it's important to make sure that you're not passing out when you stand up. Many people will have what's called orthostatic hypotension, right? They stand up and their blood pressure gets too low and they're, they get lightheaded. When you're finding that happening, you need to talk to your doctor about your blood pressure medicines because sometimes the most common culprit for high blood, for, for, low. for low blood pressure when you stand up quickly is definitely... Meds. The meds are too strong. I mean, there are other causes, but yeah. meds is, a bi is the, the biggest common. cause. Well, we, you were talking. We had another caller with a question about high blood pressure. Pre we appreciate your call. The woman would like to know, if I have high blood pressure and are now on medications for it, 
Does flying on a plane affect this? Uh, flying does not affect your um, uh, your blood pressure. It doesn't make you orthostatic. Uh, the The major things that it can do if people have lung disease um, is the pressures can change. There are people who have migraine headaches that can get migraine headaches. Uh, I remember I had a sinus headache that was so severe I thought I was going to my head was going to implode. After, when you were flying, after yeah. I got down, I mean, oh. you know, I've oh, never wow. had such pain in my life. Huh. It was the worst. It was like a um, ice cream headache that wouldn't go away. Ooh, that would be painful. It was that. So if you have high blood pressure and you're flying, you're already on meds. Your blood pressure is under control. Flying is not a problem there is, at all. I have never seen any data that suggested it is it, it, that that is a problem. Okay. Well, thank you for that call. Thank you for both the calls on that. And we will take our next break. If you'd like to give us a call at 692-1430. We'll be call. back right after these words. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I've got to tell you, this was not called in, but I talked to my daughter yesterday. Yes. And she said, you ever get this sweet taste in your mouth? I said, well, I don't know. I guess if I ate sugar. She said, no, no, no. She's wondering if what she's getting could be reflux because what happens is once or twice a day, she gets this odd, really sweet taste in her mouth. Mm -hmm. And it isn't sour. Like if you have reflux, you always think it's going to be sour. Mm -hmm. But you've mentioned before, it doesn't have to be a sour taste you get. What do you think? Could that be reflux? I really think that's most likely reflux. I mean, there there are tastes that we can have when, when certain foods that we were, uh, that we ate get absorbed. You know, it's an amazing thing. I mean, you don't think about how powerful the small intestine is, but it absorbs the food that you eat, almost all of it. I mean, it's a am- very little, you know, what, what you poop, is is generally just bacteria sloughing from the walls of the large intestine and cellular tissue from the large intestine itself. Uh, 90% of what comes out of us in the end is uh, not the, the residual of the food we ate. It is part of us that's just kind of cleaning out. It's old tissue. Uh, there's a turnover in the GI tract because it's such a... Uh, unbelievably uh, changing and moving and, and working system. Uh, but the small intestine is the absorptive, uh, uh, unbelievably absorptive um, uh, tissue uh, with all these tiny little fingers. And on the end of every little finger are tiny little fingers again. So you have all these, this access to um, uh, absorbing uh, what is the uh, sliding through the small small intestine and uh, it's prepared by the stomach and the pancreas and uh, the early part of the small intestine where the acid um, attacks the food and the grinding of the uh, actually grinding of your teeth and the mushing of your mouth and the tongue and the palate and it gets it into the esophagus and it moves it into the stomach and the stomach chews it up squirms it around and makes it juicy and lots of juice so it's watery and it moves into the large in, or the small intestine. The small intestine just takes those nutrients and just sucks it out of it. And then the nutrients that are sucked out are put into a venous system, right? The Your blood drains system? In, yeah, the blood, okay, the blood. Right, it, it's, it's absorbed into the blood. So all the, the nutrients blood, go, go into, into the, the blood. blood. And then the blood goes through the liver. 
And the liver goes, oh, that's nasty. I'm going to take that out of there. Oh, I don't like that. I'm going to take that out of there. And it purifies what it is in the blood so that you don't die of poisoning. poisoning by what you've eaten. Right. right. And uh, if you don't have a liver, you don't You live. don't survive very well, right? <laughs> you know, they say you've got to have a good liver to be a, a big liver. You've heard oh, that, Bob Oh, Rick, Rick, Rick. But you've got to have a good right. liver so to Aaron survive. So Erin definitely should check with her doctor on reflux. So when that particular food hits the, the blood system, yes, people will taste it sometimes. Ah. And that was my answer. It was a long answer to the simple question. But you think it might be reflux. But I think most likely it's reflux. Okay. Now, I mean, what is reflux? But uh, the food that's in the stomach... It comes back up the esophagus. Now, there's a lot of that that happens, and you don't re- you don't know it, <clears throat> particularly people who are sleepers and have reflux at night, and uh, when they're coughing at night or uh, they their airway kind of blocks at night. It's that they get almost all the way up, and your airway tries to protect protect itself. The coughing clears it. Uh, sometimes it just comes up, doesn't go into your lungs, goes into your mouth. And people will have bad taste in their mouth. Their teeth will erode. Their voice will change. A lot of people have symptoms of reflux, and they don't they don't have heartburn, particularly if they've been taking omeprazole or one of the Pepsid or one of those one of yeah. those things. Okay, but if somebody does fear that they might have reflux, what test is given at the doctor's office to show that you do or do not have reflux well um it's commonly done they do these motility tests to see how your esophagus works and moves the food down and then to see whether it goes back up and the other test that uh, will commonly occur if you suspect it is that people will push a will gently advance a scope while the patient is under anesthesia and go down look at the vocal cords look at the back of the throat look at the esophagus to see if, if there's, there's erosion damage, and if there's right. been damage or if there's a tumor or a mass or something that's messing with your esophagus to cause it to be And uh, it's refluxing. even though the, the diagnosis sounds a little tough, you know, it's not just the doctor looks at you and says yes or no, there's more to it. You really believe it's important to find out because reflux can cause so much damage. Right. Is that correct? Refi- you know, uh, let's say that you're not a person uh, taking... Uh, omeprazole or Prevacid or Zantac or any antacid kind of medication. You're not taking any of that. The uh, the the food the the slurry of uh, food that's in your stomach is commonly very acidic, and it will do damage to the esophagus and to the back of your throat and to your voice box and to your lungs, and people will have significant. Uh, injury as a result of, of such a thing. That's one thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. you know the easiest way to treat that is to elevate the head of your bed by about three books. And that'll help with the reflux. Right. When you're mm-hmm. laying there at, flat at night, you know it just and you have and you've eaten something after supper, or you ate a huge supper and it's sitting there in your gut yet, it'll roll back in to your throat. If you ate a early light supper which is what everybody's recommending and you don't have ice cream while you're watching the jack parr show then um you will uh uh, solve the problem but 
sometimes you still have food in that gullet and it will roll up there. But if you put gravity on your side and you elevate the head of the bed, even like four inches. It'll make a difference. It will solve the problem and you won't have to start taking pills. Pills are not the best answer. Gravity is a better answer. Very good. Well, our answer right now is to take our final break. We have had another call and a question about shingles, and we will get back to that right after these words. And we're back. Of course, it's uh, Prairie Doc Radio. Joan Hogan, did you find your question? I found the question. I'm sorry. A woman had called in just before the program. Erin, it was so nice to see Erin back. Yes. She's the receptionist, and she's been out with her new baby, and she's back on the air now, or back receiving people as they come in the door. And she took this question, and then I dropped it. But she said this woman really wants to know. It's a question about shingles. This lady has had the shingle shot. But after you turn 65, are you supposed to get a second shot? That's the question. Right. You know, I don't know the answer to that. Oh, well, we don't have all the answers. I so think, I think the answer is yes. <clears throat> the government will pay for one of them. Uh, We're not sure about I'm a not second. sure. I mean, pneumonia, yes. I mean, uh, the answer, I'm ready for the pneumonia shot. If you've had it before you were 60 or 65, then you need to have another one, and the government will pay for actually two of them, the pneumovax and the, 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 um, uh, the, the other pneumo, pneumonia shot. There are two, two of them now two that difference. we're suggesting that people have after 65. But <clears throat> the shingle shot, I think it's really maybe just one shot, and that's it. All right, but and she they, can call the clinic or whoever she does see. And they'll, they'll look it over. Yeah. You know, I just haven't looked that up in a couple years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my, ma- my brain doesn't have a good enough answer to say anything over the air and give you correct advice. You're smart enough not to give her the incorrect advice. That's the thing. I think it's so. a one-time uh, deal, but, um, and you only, but it might be that you can, if you did it in your 50s, see, they, the insurance and people won't pay for it under 60, I think is the deal. If they, if you're over sixty, they'll pay for it, but then you, you only get it once. Okay. But All right. let, check with your doctor. Well, on and that. we appreciate you calling in with that question. I think we're a little short on time. Are we down to about? We oh, are we down have five to minutes. My five watch minutes. is wrong. Oh, Look we have time. Then we yeah, can get your, to that. Your, your battery my, is dead. My battery is dead on my clock. I always, I always come in with this really nice clock, so it's just it's right perfect. in my face. I, mean, I know 10, the correct nine, time, yeah, and my watch is never really accurate, but. Since we have more time, we have another question, and this is tying into diabetes, and you will be doing a TV program tomorrow night with two experts on diabetes. So this question you might save for tomorrow night, but see if we can answer it tonight, today. The question is, do statins, which are cholesterol-lowering drugs, boost the odds of developing type 2 diabetes? If this is true, why do people take statins? Yeah, and the answer is it doesn't boost your chances of of diabetes. Okay. But if you haven't had a heart attack, the chances of it helping you are 1 in 850. I mean, you, you mean gotta, statins? Yeah. I mean, okay. we're we're overusing statins, I think in this country. Of course, now not every doctor in this clinic is going to agree with me on that. I I'm kind of running against the stream on that. And I say that because I am. But if you look at the scientific data on using cholesterol-lowering drugs in the elderly. There's no good data if you're over 60, unless you've had a heart attack, that you would ever use that, those medicines. If you've had a heart attack, it's, uh, there's still lessening data to say that it'll make a difference. And there is a significant chance as you get older that it'll have side effects. 
those drugs can cause aching joints and muscle aches and weakness and tiredness. And it, they, they don't hold a, hand, a candle to the most important thing that you can do. Bob, do we know what that would be? The most important thing you could do. To prov- hmm. protect your heart. What, what could that watch, watch TV? No. No. Uh, no. no, although no. Thursday nights at 7 o'clock, <laughs> yes. yes. I'm guessing probably something that starts with an X or something. What would be the best thing for your heart, Dr. Hall? By far, walking and exercises, you know, get out and get moving. Exercise. Move it. Move it or lose it. You know, for me, you know, make muscles move more. And I think if you're going to talk about one thing that would help every system in your body, help your l- chances of a higher quality of life, living longer and better, there it is. And so I would just, I would say for you. For you. And last move week, your muscles more. it was so enjoyable. We had Maggie Manette in here talking about the research on your program, Make Muscles Move More and Eat Right. For me, you're saying it's yes. really for you. But they don't have the final results, but they do know, incidentally, or what would be the, the people did benefit from they the exercise did. program. And even the people even tell you they did. They Everyone did. Everyone involved they, in it. They, they, the placebo effect or something, they were stronger. They felt better. They felt balanced. They felt um, better. But uh, most important, way beyond what lipid-lowering pills can do, uh, it helps you prevent uh, clotting in your blood vessels and uh, strokes and heart attacks. Lowers your blood pressure, uh, lowers your cholesterol, but who cares about that because it isn't, we don't know that, that lowering the cholesterol makes a difference. It's something else. So get moving. That's the thing. Okay. Those, you know, I, I know you've said this, and I've never taken the lipid lowering drugs because of okay. you, and I don't, I'm glad I haven't because I've known a few people who have had extreme side effects from them and right. really were so almost damaged by it and went off of them. But I, you never bought into that at all, did no. you? No. Well, I mean, if you've had a heart attack. Okay. Or if you've, uh, and I think that's the only data that we have. If you've had a heart attack, then you've got to, you've got to treat 28 people before one has benefited. And that's the one study done by one drug company. All the rest have jumped on by that one study done by the drug company. And it still was so weak that it, you had to treat 28 people before one person was benefited. At that point, we'll, I'll still treat, but I'm not excited about it. We've got, okay. we're, we're at we're our last minute, I think, Our John. last minute, so we should close this program. And we hope all of you have enjoyed listening to our Prairie Doc radio program. Why don't you listen again next week for Prairie Doc, brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. If you'd like, you can hear and see more from Dr. Holm online at prairiedoc.org. Rick, that's all till next week. Thank you, Joan. And don't forget, tomorrow night, Phil Meyer, wonderful internist, and Ken Bartholomew on diabetes. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Joan. And stay healthy out there, people.